Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We're here in a studio today with some beautiful new art behind us. <laughs> some beautiful art. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, we're pretty excited about this topic. It starts with a funny word that we had to work on to identify go together. I'm, okay. I'm going You're for going it. You're going for it. Um, so <laughs> I promise we'll describe what this means in just a second. But this conversation is about what's it like when we find ourselves as a therapist. A and what we mean by that is when we ourselves as a therapist might need to spend some time as a client or have spent some time as a client. Yes. Or maybe our life is... Uh, Human. <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> when it's you. just like... Maybe our life is lifey and uh, we find ourselves coming in to do therapeutic work and we're not really feeling the <laughs> the fullness of our potential. Yeah. Not feeling tip-top. Uh, no. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of us are either currently there or have spent some time there or have um, anticipated how easy it could be to be in that spot and wondering what do we do and how does it affect our work? And um, specifically as an EMDR therapist, we we were a bit curious together around what's it like to be an EMDR client? Have Mm -hmm. you ever done that? Um, Was it a good experience or not? Um, So yeah. Yeah. You guys ever been a therapist? Yes, every, <laughs> every day. day. Yeah, I was gonna say every day. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that idea of like, what if you're not your like most okay self, but you still have to go into day after day after day, trying to be there to support someone else in their hard things that they're going through. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to hold. Like, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and we're supposed to somehow (laughs) get okay together. Yes, yes. Yeah, the space of being a professional counselor, a professional therapist, means that even in the throes of life, if we're still, and I get into this space a lot, like, if I'm able to work, I should work, Hmm. is Mm -hmm. like the, what I feel like culture says. Yeah. Like, why would you take a day off? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have to. Like for right. some people, yes. like I every session goes towards my bills and I need that. That's yeah. exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Like, I can't take time I don't off have the luxury financially, financially yeah. to take the time off. And so how do I balance that um that space? Because I think on one side of it, it's clear that the work we're doing is so personal and emotional and psychological and therefore our okayness in a way is contributing very visibly and tangibly and meaningfully to the success of our sessions, but we're then caught in the tension of having to also know that financially I'm supported this month and I can pay for what I need to. And does that come at the cost of the work we're doing in session? Mm -hmm. And how do we feel about that? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if it does? Right. Like, what if it does influence the work that we do in session? I think well, and it has to. I was going to say, I think it just, it does. Yeah. And, and what do we do with the the tension and the feelings and the well, maybe even guilt around when we can't show up for our clients the way that we would want to because of what's happening in our personal life? And yet that's not something that we can avoid. Like, mm-hmm. it, it will happen. We are human. Yeah. And I mean, I think just... At the most basic level, what if you don't sleep all the night before and you show up to session and you're tired? And, you know, every therapist has a trick of how to hide a yawn in session. Oh, yeah. We have a whole comedy bit about that. Yes. Yeah, I think we've discussed that, haven't and we? going to that? the bathroom. And- yes, yeah, yeah. Like, how do, how do you navigate the yawning and the, you know, the gurgling stomach or whatever, the human Checking the that, clock, but not checking the yeah, clock. Yeah, yeah, the very surreptitious <laughs> yeah. look at the clock. That's right. When I reach for my drink and I look at oh, my yeah, watch. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So subtle, but don't not at all. any more clues, you guys. <laughs> this is what this is about, Jen. This is a fly on the wall you think that fly doesn't know <laughs> and the fly has seen it all the fly knows um, so i i guess within this kind of huge topic we all agree that okay it's going to happen and so what feels the most interesting to you guys to reflect on together of so when it does happen what does that mean mm-hmm. and what do we do about it or is there something that we can respond with to try to navigate that as well as we can. For me, this conversation, as we were discussing it as an idea for this episode, made me think of myself and my relationship to work just in general. Um, work is a very comfortable place for me. And throughout my life, it, it has been something that it doesn't feel like most people talk about work to me. But what that means is that if I have a hard personal situation work is a retreat yes and so it's hard for me to think through is that okay or not Mm -hmm. because throughout my childhood as things would happen i knew that i had work and that was like the best thing for me because i could support myself and also i liked it and i liked the people that i was interacting with Mm -hmm. and the services that i was providing or whatever and so work was a retreat in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and at that time you know not doing anything as <laughs> like what i would feel right now as meaningful as what i'm doing in therapy but that habit transferred because i was using it as a strategy mm-hmm. then and so it's there now and so as we were thinking about this topic i was thinking through my own experience in therapy and then the few times since i've become a full-time therapist that were particularly difficult in my personal life you know there are there are hard days but the seasons Mm -hmm. of life that you go through that are filled with grief and pain Mm -hmm. what does your therapy practice look like in those times so that's what was coming up for me is even just now as you asked that question i was thinking about those times yeah i think i deeply relate to using work i don't know that i would say i have ever used it as a retreat because I think my stuff ends up confronting me even more so when I'm in session. Mm. And I think that's just the nature of like the way that I process things and kind of my own personality. But what it almost always feels like is a reset Mm. because the, the self state that I can get into 
pretty easily when I'm with a client, frankly, heals me. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, thank God. <laughs> you do actually know <laughs> what might be helpful in this situation. And so when, I, when I'm in my private life and my personal life and so caught up in the, the feelings of it all um, and the intensity of it all, it's hard for me to find my way through. But there's something about sitting with that one person. And I think I think one of the main factors is suddenly the attention is off me in my pain. Mm. And there's something about that that actually helps me gain perspective, which I struggle with. Um, but when I when I can fully devote myself to understanding what it feels like to be that person, something sort of clicks into place in my own system that feels tremendously relieving. And I usually leave that session with some awareness of, you know, what I can do to support myself or, or shift things personally. So I don't think I find a retreat, but I do find a, a beneficial reset. Mm. Um, and a, a version of myself shows up. It's like, I'm really glad that you're here. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> I really needed you like an hour ago when I was having that conversation, but at least you're here now. Um, so I, I do feel that a lot. And, and it makes me crave work. Mm. Like if I'm having a rough time, I, I want to go to work, mm. not because I'm escaping, but because that's where I find my answers is, yeah. is in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm reflecting a lot on just the transformation of myself as a clinician over the 12, 13 years of practicing, like early on and really like for the majority of that time it was so easy to just compartmentalize Mm -hmm. dissociate away from i could go into this mode Mm -hmm. and i would be in back-to-back sessions for six hours or more and i could just do it and then there was the coming you know at home if things are hard i dissociate all of that hard stuff from work Mm -hmm. into this box and i go and i just do it here and i think that was a great strategy in a lot of ways, but what started to happen is they're influencing each other Mm -hmm. and they're felt in those spaces, but there's not the honesty of the story around it and my own awareness or for the other person. And I have, you know, a few clients who've been with me for a lot of that transformation that we've had times now of reflecting on like the, the confusion for them of like, what's, because I, I definitely couldn't be the one struggling, right? Mm-hmm. There was no way that was a possibility. So then it was how did they make sense of themselves or our relationship as a result of that? Because there wasn't the like transparency and like not full transparency, but just even like speaking to and acknowledging like this is hard or to, I'm really tired today or I'm in a difficult season of life right now. Um Compared to now, I think it's so much more authentic to really, it's okay for me to just be human in those Mm -hmm. spaces Mm -hmm. and to keep the pieces of it that are just mine and that I don't desire or need to share there, but to also say like, you may sense this from me or with me and that you're at your, that's real. That's true. I don't have to convince you of it to be something else. And that's been an interesting journey that I feel like I'm still like in and figuring out mm. like how to balance that. I think it, it necessitates some version of humility and uh, yeah. self-awareness as a therapist and a helper that our work cannot actually be about having answers mm-hmm. because 
when we are in those moments of our own life where, well, I don't know, <laughs> like, but I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. And it's still insane um, and chaotic and painful. If, if my work is predicated on me having an answer to make the pain go away, then I feel helpless, hopeless, and like I shouldn't be doing this job. Mm. Because then I should just be able to do that with my yes. own stuff. Like if, if I have the yeah. answer for you, why can I not fix my exactly. own problem? Exactly. And I, I think like I, I might have come into this kind of work very conscious of that because I grew up in a ministry family. And there's that same dynamic in ministry families where, you know, the, the minister, the pastor, the missionary is supposed to have this ideal and perfect home life mm. in order to have the right to preach. And I saw how detrimental and also totally Unreal. not true yeah. 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 that that was. And so I've always been very mindful of the impossibility of that. And yet, then what are we doing? Mm. You know, if, if our work is not about solving pain, what are we doing? And that's something that we talk about a lot. And we, we don't conceptualize our work as answer havers and advice givers. Right. Um, but it really allows us to let our humanness um, be present, be acknowledged, but also not take up too much room. Yes. Yeah. That's not it. dominate. It's yeah. a balance. It's yeah. a really delicate balance. The dance. I mean, it really mm -hmm. is where mm -hmm. we're, even if we're not thinking in our mind that the reason I'm saying what I'm saying is because this applies to my life or mm -hmm. this is something I learned whenever we in, even introduce an intervention or especially in something as intuitive as, you know, resourcing or as an interweave in EMDR, you're introducing what feels authentic mm -hmm. in a way that kind of honors your past experience. So it is with you, even if you're not consciously drawing on it, you know, why did you choose that interweave over the other? Or why did you direct attention towards this and not that? Why did you use that word and not another word? Exactly. Yeah. Those are all, you know, your past is coming into the space. Um, I'm curious what you both think of EMDR in this way, because I can hear the more objective side of EMDR practice being, well, that's, you know, part of the, the phasic approach mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. it, it has a standardized, you know, spine that really helps you go through these phases and you know that on the other side is the end of the rainbow where you're going to get reprocessing and mm -hmm. trauma resolution. Mm -hmm. But that I think if you've been doing EMDR for any amount of time, you know that that's not true. That's a fantasy. Your life still comes into the space. Yeah. There are problems with the the protocol that you know the person isn't connecting at all or you know and that brings up whatever feeling it does in you and you either you know flail or you double down on strategy or yeah so what is it like as an emdr therapist with this conversation we're having it's really hard for me to like separate it out <laughs> like mm. to me it is like when I, the way I feel myself as an EMDR therapist is just me as a therapist. I don't really have like a compartment that says like, this is what it's like for me as an EMDR. And this is what it's like for me as a different kind of therapist. It's like all connected. I would say like in practicing like active desensitization and reprocessing, like we're in a session where it's like, we're processing your trauma today. There is a, um, like a break for my subjectivity in those sessions. Mm. Like I was thinking the exact same thing. In mm. resourcing and preparation where it's a lot of relational focus. You're in there. Fully. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's so hard. 
you know, not to be. It's just you are there. But when there are those sessions that says we have a specific target and a specific focus and we're going to run through this process, like my subjective self or maybe in that moment a wounded self gets to say like, peace out. I'm Mm -hmm. going to go take a break here. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to be Mm -hmm. present. I'm on easy mode. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can just be focused on like. You're just noticing things in the client. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that does feel like there is like a rest and kind of in that. Mm-hmm. But when I have those sessions, which in the eight phases, I'd probably conceptualize them as like preparation and resourcing phases where it's very relationally focused. We're looking at like feeling together in it. Mm-hmm. I have to be inviting those parts to like come into the space and be present in the space. And if I'm really struggling in life with something, it's like, oh, I don't know, like, this may not be my day that I invite those here. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we might go a bit more objective yeah. mm. and that can, I think be really good for both of us mm. in that. Yeah. I, it feels funny that the reprocessing sessions are the ones that feel the most relaxing, but I totally agree. It's by the time we get to that point, you know, my goal with EMDR is that most of the hard work is done before we're ever doing phase four. Mm. And and what I mean by that is that the um, the hardest things that need to be said have already been said. The hardest feelings to hold in our body, we have already touched that together and established safety together around those things. So the, the phase four work ends up kind of feeling more like cleanup. You mm. know, it's like, no, nah, we're just kind of organizing things and like, yep, this neuron needs to now plug in over here. But the... Mm-hmm the there's no um major new territory that we're going to encounter at least that's my goal it doesn't always go that way but um if i'm having what i would call a less functional day as a therapist i may actually go towards a phase four session as a preference because it's so beneficial to the client Mm. and i can really show up for that and still be in my limitations for the day um so that's funny that, you know, that's yeah. true for both of us. That I it think, feels like a break. <laughs> I think that's the space as well. And the same is very much true for me. I, th- I think what's interesting to me about that is in the spaces where we feel tired in our personal life or feel taxed or something like that, it's very familiar to be in the throes of trauma reprocessing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost yeah. more predictable yeah. in a way yeah. of, you know, I see these connections and I understand how it's affecting you yep. as I know how to now talk this way. It feels a lot more laid out for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just thinking of the analogy of it's one thing to go get all of the ingredients to make a meal, but then once you get it in your kitchen, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay. Yeah, Yeah, or even one step further. So like the French phrase mise en poix, Uh everything Uh in its place. Like by the time we hit phase four, mise en poix is done. Everything (laughs) is chopped and in its little bowl and we're just dumping stuff into the pot and letting it simmer. Order is what this is. And so it really, it feels feels incredibly productive, still so useful. It really is something. A delicious meal is on its way. Yeah, like (laughs) we're not um, phoning it in in terms of it's it's not a important session for the client. It really is, but it is less taxing on a heart level um for me and really quite rewarding on a heart level and so i i do feel drawn to those sessions if i'm feeling maxed out i also (laughs) i mean this is just like full vulnerability sometimes when i am in the throes of some major chaos in my own life which happens more than i prefer (laughs) i i have this part of me that's like 
yeah, you probably should just talk less for a while because whatever you're saying is going to necessarily be you processing your own stuff. Like mm. it, it cannot be um, compartmentalized. And I, you know, even when I think I'm doing a real great job compartmentalizing, I'll reflect after the fact and go, ooh, that, not so I don't much. know that I would have said that in any other situation. A really easy example is I had a lot of conversations around the benefits of separation of marriage when I was in the midst of separating <laughs> my own marriage. It's a coincidence. And, totally and now I'm really pro-marriage. You know, I'm just thrilled with partnership and because... all the benefits because I'm about to get married. Imagine that. You know, so so there I have learned by self-observation that Melissa needs to just double check herself before giving that, that kind of feedback. Um, and I really do try to kind of steer around those topics carefully when I know that like that is up, that is very present in my own life. Yeah. Um, my version of that right now is the Enneagram. <laughs> Everybody like, needs to be Everyone is a one right now. Like everyone's a one. It's okay. Everybody's a four to me Every right client. now. So. No, not really. <laughs> I have had so many conversations just being like, you just use the same language that I like. <laughs> you discovered your one is Yeah, well, because it was beneficial to you, and now you want to offer it to other people yeah. so that they yeah. can feel the same. And it is it's so real. Like that is something is like the biggest thing I'm personally processing right now is like it's gonna be in your session. My personality. That's the yes. biggest yeah. thing I'm yes. processing. Your right own shadow. No. Right. So to sit in a space with someone and to say, like, as much as like I'm hearing their story and mm -hmm. I'm like doing all my therapist things, but there's this whole other brain in there working on like organizing stuff. Yes. And, yeah. How does this connect to this? And like just yes, organizing it mm -hmm. constantly. And so then I'm like I don't don't say it. Don't bring it up. Don't bring up the enneagram. Do not ask them if they have taken the test. Does it actually test. have don't, to work no, in this stop. case? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then about two sentences later, have you ever heard of the enneagram? Yeah. <laughs> I hate to bring it up, but, <laughs> but and only only if it's interesting to you. I find right. myself with a lot of a lot of prefaces. Mm -hmm. and just because it feels useful, you know. But something that I've been just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think like that reality of whatever we are currently personally processing is going to show up in the room. There's sort of two things that stand out to me about that. Number one, you need to know what you're currently processing so that you can gently and lovingly audit yourself <laughs> in the way that it's showing up. Yeah. Like Community you, is super helpful. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's the other piece of it is where are you having space to process yes. your stuff? Yeah. Because if you don't have another space to do it, your system will almost mandate that you use your client's time. Mm -hmm. It like it is such a, a human need that if we are too lonely in our life in terms of having spaces and safe relationship to do that, don't be surprised when it pops out in session because yeah. you're you're in that space. You know, you're you're in the throes of vulnerability, connectedness, attunement, and everything in you is going to want to be fully present in that. And it, so it's very hard to ask our system to not if we're not giving it someplace else to express. Mm. A conversation I've had with several consultees lately are like the unfortunate reality that my client relationships are some of my most vulnerable, authentic, yep. connected, and safe relationships that I have in my whole life, right? Like like that feeling as a therapist. Ooh, says, I just wonder what that feels like to people to hear you say that. I, yeah. I totally agree. Like I adore my clients and we've been together for like five years at yes. this point. 
It's, and that's a long you, relationship you compare for me. That, yeah. And like the things we talk about are yeah. things that yeah. we don't the go talk to other people. The level of depth is yes. not accessible. Yeah. And so our systems, even if it's not about our lives, we receive that feeling of like this yep. deep connection with another human. And we really mean it. Right. Mm. And so what you're saying is so true. If you don't have a space for that outside of session, your it's system's going to not know how to. Like I'm now going through the biggest thing in my life. Yeah. And this is... The, the place where I come to be in the deepest connection with people is this office. Yes. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Like we have to be creating that in community outside of that so that mm-hmm. our systems aren't just feeling this like pull into yeah. sharing it in those relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it can be hard to find spaces and places. And I feel like that's why the mission and vision of beyond is what it is because we know how challenging it can be and also how important it is. But I think the, the thing that I want to really highlight about that is don't feel guilty or ashamed when you notice that coming out in session because it is so natural. And it's actually a sign of your deep attunement and connection with your clients. You're integrating. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and the urge to integrate in a space of safety is biologically normal. Human. Yeah. Like it's, it's going to happen. But we want to be mindful of, of how much room that is taking up and whose benefit is for and all of that. And the number one thing that we can do to, to care for ourselves and the health of that dynamic is to have community where that's happening yeah. regularly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. I find myself using certain phrases with clients of like, this may just be my own stuff coming up, but, yeah. mm-hmm. or this may be like me projecting my experience into yours. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, as a way or a token to say, like, I'm acknowledging that I am a human right now, that yeah. whatever thought I'm coming up with, whatever perception I have, whatever interpretation is coming, coming from, from my own system. Yeah. And so if I have, like, I'll use the Enneagram example, like, if I have that coming up in me, that I'm thinking, oh, this might be helpful for you. Like, that's me knowing it's helpful for me and wanting to put that into this space. Yeah. But it feels only fair to like give them that context and my own awareness of it like let's acknowledge what this is Mm -hmm. put it in the space and maybe it connects maybe they say like oh wow like yeah that's just what I needed to hear Mm -hmm. let's explore that or maybe it's a complete miss that Mm -hmm. says like well that was mine and I put it out there and there was no need for it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like our client signals to us pretty quickly yeah (laughs) if that's gonna be you know yeah yeah or just you know the nice nod and then the moving on yeah it's like okay okay message received yeah yeah Yeah, like okay I got it I got it did not connect that's fine Uh yeah swing and a miss yeah (laughs) that's all right yeah all all things are just an invitation and sometimes they say no and sometimes they should say no (laughs) right right yeah one thing that's standing out to me is Jen, you were connecting on how meaningful those relationships are. You just had that talk on drop in with beyond about the relationship. And I've had multiple people that went to that reach out, like just because of different relationships and talk about how meaningful it was, Mm -hmm. how it like changed their idea of, um, I've been doing EMDR wrong (laughs) because the relationship matters so much and it feels like in basic training that's not either not mentioned or when it is it's it's excluded yeah it's talked about as this is not to be a part of this space we need to be doing these eight phases and explicitly naming them and then if your client like this is how it's named sometimes if your client needs a processing 
what happened session, yeah. then you can explicitly talk about that and do yeah. it. Right. But it's only if yes. that needs yeah. to happen. You know, some people saying, well, you know, sometimes people just need to talk about what they just reprocessed last session. So you could make space for it there. Right. But like it's we're going to so... take a break from the real work. Yeah, the deep work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you guys actually conceptualize the way that you do EMDR is quite the opposite of that. That mm. the phase four yeah. reprocessing, to me, that feels like the moments of deviation from the real work necessary and very useful and fully integrated into the flow of, of what we're doing. Um, but I don't view that as the main thing. Mm. And that probably feels very different. Um, certainly feels very different than when I initially started with EMDR because there was this feeling of you get to phase four as quickly as possible. You move through as many targets as you can as quickly as possible because that is where the real healing occurs. And that's what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. Is to have that as your focus. Yeah. 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 For me, I, I find that, well, and even as you were just talking, when we say get to phase four, you know, that's using the, the EMDR language to talk about trauma explicitly mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. work to resolve it and understand it and, and integrate it. Um, the way I think we're talking about relationships accomplishes a right. lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where EMDR um, can help resource the relationship between therapist and client. Mm -hmm. For me, the process of getting to phase four is essentially doing that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, I'm right with you. Yeah. Well, and there's like this whole realm of trauma that is untouchable by phase four until you have deeply established relationships yeah. so totally. that there can be yeah. significant pattern recognition of someone's attachment patterns and, you know, activation patterns and all of that. Yeah. Like, okay, so this might be a significant loop to run on. So maybe we'll do this later, but I want to mention it here so I yeah. don't forget. So Alan Fogel has this concept that he calls participatory memory. Have mm. you guys heard of this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and if you haven't read Alan Fogel, just do mm. anything that he's written is wonderful. But um, this comes out of a book called Remembering Infancy, beautiful book. And he wrote one chapter in it. It was chapter eight. I don't know why I remember that. Um, but in it, he's talking about how um, explicit memory is what we're trained to focus on in therapy because it's the easiest to access. Mm -hmm. Low-hanging fruit. Yes, low-hanging fruit. And so I think when I initially was taught EMDR, it was focused on the processing of explicit memory. And then there was sort of this crazy idea that occasionally you might slip into implicit memory mm. of like pre-verbal trauma. Right. Ooh, we can do that too. And yeah. how in the world do we do that? How do you target something that you don't remember? And, you know, here's techniques to be able to access that and bring the activation into the system, et cetera. So... Fogel nuanced that, yes, there's explicit, that's easy, and there's implicit, and implicit memory is more the the working procedural, procedural memory, yeah. right? Um, so this is the way that you do X, Y, Z. You don't have to think about it consciously. It's just embedded in your system to know how to ride a bike, drive a A lot car, of important experiences yeah. preceding it, but yeah. yeah. Um, but then he, he created this nuance of in between the two is what he called participatory memory, which is the, the subtle embodied um, activation patterns that are very relational. It's mm. not about doing anything, but it's the patterns of the way that we be. with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do we target those? Mm -hmm. And in my experience, 
you can't target them by finding a memory. They're because evoked. They're, yes, you literally have to evoke them in your relationship with the client because there, there was so many moments where that pattern was activated. There is not one thing that you can, you know, put your finger on and target. The, the target is actually the nervous system as a whole and the way that activation runs through it. And so this is clearly a spinoff into very interesting territory that we spent a lot of time very on. Much but the, <laughs> the reason why I bring this up is because I don't know how to get into participatory memory networks without the relationship. Because it well, is, by definition, you, you can't. Yeah. Yes, and and so when when we're doing that, it is so that we can target and reprocess and make edits and changes to the the whole organism at once, which is so much of a preference because the generalization is therefore embedded in the process. Mm. We're not selecting one target memory and hoping that it's going to generalize to other things. We're, we're just starting with the broad generalization. The generalization, yeah. And, yeah. and we can do that because of the, the relational connection and the patterns that we've been in together, the enactments and reenactments that we've gone through together, you know, as, as a therapist client couple. And therefore we can actually begin to process those things. Mm -hmm. And so doing EMDR that way to me is number one, a lot more gentle, but also gets a lot more change a lot more quickly. It's more authentic. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so going back to one of our original questions, then I want to hear your guys' thoughts about all of this. Every time that I have done EMDR personally on a specific target memory, I have had a negative experience, mm. which is fascinating to me because here I am doing all this and I still really believe in it. Mm -hmm. But what I wish is that I could experience EMDR embedded in that kind of context. That, that would be a totally different experience. And that's what I try to offer our clients and what we try to teach people how to do. I feel very curious about like, what would that be like? <laughs> to have your, how special. I know. And, first, and yeah. really challenging to find <laughs> yes, a therapist. Yes. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I, I feel like just by the nature of being, we are in relationship with our therapist, whether or not it's relationally focused or not. Yeah. And so it is evoking those memories, mm -hmm. whether or not it's safe enough to name it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, maybe it's unsafe yeah. and it evokes the memory of unsafe relationship yes. dynamics of the past. Yeah. Yes. And I so think I that's think exactly right. Yeah. Working in that zone, like that type of memory, it's happening regardless. But if we can bring attention and awareness to it and be very intentional to establish safety, like that, that is like foundational mm -hmm. in order for that type of those relational experiences to be reparative rather than continuing the trauma Confirming. patterns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like that's the therapeutic work there. And I think that can be held while you target specific trauma and then it doesn't have to be re-traumatizing. Right. But if this is unsafe and then we're going in to target the really explicit memories of trauma, I don't know how we can expect that to go well. Yeah. yeah. And when you say it that way, I think that's exactly why my personal EMDR experiences were negative. Yeah. Because the, the personality that I have and the attachment or relational trauma in my history, one of the main themes is your big feelings are too much and they make me uncomfortable. And mm. so when I went in to process a big bad trauma, <clears throat> here I came yeah. with all my big feeling and it was a lot of activation, rightly so. It was an assault situation and my body reacted big. 
and it freaked the therapist out and she mm -hmm. pulled the plug and mm -hmm. said that I wasn't ready for it. And in that moment, I thought, but did not say out loud because no. there wasn't relational. That's right. You're not ready You're for not it. ready for it. I'm, I'm just ready. fine. Yeah. I was totally fine. Having I, the process yes. I need to have. Yeah. Like I didn't need that Kleenex. I also didn't need that pause. I didn't need any of what you just yeah, offered. Let's go. Let's do this thing because I've been holding this for years yeah. and I would like to be done with it now. I'm sorry that it's big. Yes. <laughs> but and, I'm and, not sorry. That's right. Like yeah. I, I was ready and you were not. And so that was a confirming trauma yeah. experience for me because she did not have the, the relational attunement to what it actually felt like to be the person that I am holding all of that. And I think like having that experience, like it keeps me so dedicated to that relational way because there's no way that we can know the nuances of something like that if we don't have a real yeah. relationship with the person yet. Yeah. For me, and this, you know, all of this is so beautiful to talk about. The the, the attachment styles, I think, are really interesting to look at, and uh, as well as the anger. Um, <laughs> so that's interesting. But for me, you know, I've never had a good experience in therapy um, myself. I've had a long therapy relationship um, that is good as a whole, but as far as like talking about specific things. I've never felt understood or um, actually able to process in real time as opposed to explaining more. And yes, I can tell you about the feelings I'm having, but I've had them already. I know what they are. Um, to me, it's the relationship piece that I've longed for and have had amazing relationship with mentors and friends and you guys, <laughs> you know? But never have I had that in a, in a therapy relationship. And I think that's what drives a lot of my interest in professional development for mm -hmm. healers and healers themselves being healed mm -hmm. um, is to say that I hope there are spaces that create that for people. And mm -hmm. I, I try to do that with my consultees and build a meaningful relationship with my clients that can actually handle the bigness of emotion, no matter what it is, mm -hmm. um, that we can go to the depths of it because I myself have never had a therapy relationship that was like that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of mine were confirming of my strategies mm -hmm. to think through and to, you know, uh, they were quite simple in mm -hmm. comparison to what my brain was already doing with it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem thinking through this. Um, it's the feeling and the integration of that that's mm -hmm. the problem, and that seems to not be relevant here. Was it on this podcast or Beyond Trauma where we talked about healing, not like the difference between like therapy and healing and that we oftentimes trauma, but I there's track, the assumption sure. that yeah. healing has to be in therapy mm -hmm. but that's just it that is an organized and a beautifully organized relationship if it's done well to offer healing but healing doesn't it happens relationally it mm -hmm. doesn't happen in therapy yeah. <laughs> so therapy is a relationship where healing can occur yeah so this feels like a maybe I was going to say fun, but that might not be the right word at all. An interesting way to kind of wrap up this conversation, if you guys feel okay to answer this. Out of every encounter, experience, relationship, maybe not specific one, but just in general that you've had, where do you feel like you personally have found the most healing for the traumas of your past? Like, where has that That's come easy. from? <laughs> Right here, uh -huh. plus one more. <laughs> plus one more person who's not right here. Uh -huh. But yeah, in in deep, close relationship, yeah. 
with other therapists, you know, <laughs> but that aren't practicing therapy. But in friendship, in relationship, that can be vulnerable and it can be real and it can be like magnifying. Like all the strategies are so clear and seen. And, and long. Long term. Yeah. Like long I think term. one of the most profound things to me is like, oh, it takes a long time. Like the whole notion that you could undo. Transformative change. Yes. In <laughs> yeah. In, in 20 sessions. Yeah. You know, um, it's absurd. Yeah. And like what what emerges in the long haul of relationships that have that kind of safe container, it like demands transformation. Like you yeah. can't actually stay in it and not be deeply changed. So I totally agree. I think that the partnership of like that deep long-term relational change with something like EMDR that can be like, okay, we're going to patch the holes mm -hmm. <laughs> that like mm -hmm. on there to, so that we have this like channel of flow and energy where it's not like just like spurting out all directions. Mm -hmm. That to me is like so helpful in that process. It says in relationship, what gets magnified to me and what I'm like forced to confront, I can then go and do this acute focus, like work on but then i have to come back to that relational mm. place and keep transforming mm -hmm. like that acute focus isn't what transforms our nervous system as a whole yeah, yeah. and the way we've yeah. been shaped moment by moment throughout our life yeah, yeah. can set us down the right path yeah. you know those 20 sessions can be really meaningful and illuminating these patterns and the origins yeah. and remove blockages yes i think i think the the pro symptoms mm -hmm. and all yeah yeah so that you know it's sort of like um well to use a cooking metaphor we've already done it. Let's do it. <laughs> like emdr and and targeting specific traumas it's like the tenderizer for the meat so that it can actually absorb the marinade mm, you know yeah. it's like I I still need to marinate in the relationships of you know, safety, yeah, yeah. And, and being seen. But if we have too much attachment trauma, it can't get in. Mm -hmm. It can't make an impact. Mm -hmm. And so I think in therapy, we have this opportunity to both have that tenderizing and marination experience. Um, but mm -hmm. I don't want to be confused. The the point is still the marination. Like it, the the safety of relationship is where the true transformation is going to occur. But we do need some things to make sure that that can actually have an impact because mm -hmm. trauma is an insulation of our whole system. And so if we don't have ways to get through that, we can sit in a safe and connected relationship and never even notice that it's right there. Yeah. 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 So true. Mm -hmm. Also, shout out to my long-term energy healer who is not a therapist, but because she isn't, she has no idea about any of this, and I can just show up in total vulnerability I cry like a baby, and she just puts her hands on my forehead like a mommy, and it's lovely. <laughs> That's so sweet. So, Michelle will continue to be in my life for the foreseeable future because I need that place. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes alternative healing spaces are really great for healers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We haven't done any of our ads. Well, I was going to say, we should talk about dropping with Beyond. Yeah. Oh, speaking of community. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> well, we just launched, like, what, two weeks ago, this group? Was it? Yeah, I guess dropping so. With Beyond? A couple it's, weeks ago. We've been kind yeah. of dabbling in this, yeah. but, like, formally launched. Yes. Yeah. I was going to um, say, that I think the first call was eight, nine, August 9th. Okay. But, yeah. Well, my first one was two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's so when it officially started. started. Yeah, My it, part of it, it launched. It didn't start. The party didn't start until Jen showed up. Naturally. Basically. Yeah, the one has arrived. Not at all. I was yeah, counting say. starts with one. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Not at all. Enough said, honestly. No. Yeah, so that's it. No. no. <laughs> Drop in with Beyond is in Beyond Healing Community, which mm-hmm. I don't know if have we even talked about that on the podcast. I'm not sure. Beyondhealingcommunity.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a social media platform, but much better. Yeah. <laughs> Professional social media. Yeah. I don't know how to. Better. Professional community platform. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Drop the social. Oh, uh, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's a group that you can subscribe to for $40 a month where you can drop in for calls all throughout the month on a variety of different topics. Um, yeah. So the one I recently did was um, the therapeutic relationship as a resource in EMDR. Which one did you do in August? Uh, I did case conceptualization okay. uh, in EMDR. We have one coming up of tracking the body. Yep, I just did session. a general one, which was super fun. We talked about um, what to do with um, depressive dismissive clients that want wow. to do EMDR. Wow. There's not people like that out there. I I wasn't making it personal. Okay, you look at me. You're sitting across from me, my love. I don't know where else to look. Like, where where are my eyeballs supposed to go? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, so if you're ever trying to do MDR with Bridget, I mean, someone, this is a press dismissive. He made it personal, not me. Anyway, so all those kinds As of conversations. As we enter this ad space, it's gotten real personal. <laughs> we started in an intersubjective, vulnerable space. It's okay to talk to each other at all. No, we're good friends. That doesn't happen. The point is, is that we we have made opportunities where you can come with all kinds of questions, yeah. and it can be specific uh, case related. It can be general topic related. Yeah. It can be. Very personal, like I'm dealing with this as a therapist. What do I do with this experience? The drop-in group yeah. is really special to me as that it has space like that where it can be just the general and then the next call can be like I have one next week on selecting meaningful targets and yeah. I'm bringing research and mm-hmm. going to talk through some ways of thinking through selecting meaningful targets. Yep. And so you get such a diversity yeah. of spaces and information and people. experience. It's, and it's people. all of us That's and right. not just us. I yeah. mean, I, it's not always obvious because of the podcast, but we have other Beyond Healing consultants yeah. that are incredibly gifted and talented yeah. and have you know niche areas that uh, you know we really want to promote to our community because it's just an invaluable resource. And so it's us and more yeah. on there. Um, and I think we'll continue to, to add people that are in that consultation training process with us um, yeah. so that our community can have a wide array of professionals and expertise and sources of valuable information. Um, but yeah, we have basically a menu that you can choose from of which topics are interesting and we give you the dates in advance so that you can plan for it. And that is embedded within Beyond Healing Community. Yeah. Um, it's a group in there. But so you see the, everything else that's going on in the community yes, as well. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's the point about the community is you can come and literally just be a fly on the wall and be a lurker for as long as you want to before you, you know, join a group or do anything specific. Reach out to someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we have specific groups in there for all kinds of topics and interest areas and things like that because it really is 
our way of trying to give therapists from all over um, a point of connection and community because that has been so valuable to us mm. and we believe in it so much and we yeah. want to offer it to, to everybody. Yeah. There are like four to six calls a month. So mm -hmm. like every week there's something yeah. Pick your poison. So yeah. yeah, that are 90 minutes long. Yeah, you mm -hmm. can come to none, you can come to all of them um, for the same rate. It doesn't, it's just a monthly subscription and then you come to whatever you feel like. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And we Where have a blast doing it. What, what would you say are the steps to get to it? Oh, uh, beyondhealingcommunity.com. And that's the actual URL okay. of the whole thing. Yeah. And, and then when you go there, it'll prompt you and to request you to, to join because yeah. it a, it's a private group for um, people interested in, in the professional side of healing. So whatever that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. But it is a space that, uh, yeah, has all kinds of different things. There's also consultation opportunities on there that we... Um, have with around SIP and EMDR mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk much more about that as we go along in yeah. this coming time because it's not I don't know it feels more substantial I mean it's a whole like universe it does <laughs> on feel that there way. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm on there every single day for different mm -hmm. things it's like the interface of my work now mm -hmm. um, so it, it is a really really special space mm -hmm. well and can we put the link in the notes yeah. this episode yeah. so yeah. we'll put the link to just the general community but also to the drop-in with beyond group yep. yeah cool. we're excited yeah. to see you on a call come hang out with us yeah yes. please do mm -hmm. it's free to join and all kinds of opportunities are there that there's a lot of free opportunities as well mm -hmm. um, but then there are some ones that do have quite a bit more um, depth of material presented courses. and courses mm -hmm. yeah are all through there our trainings are in there so yeah head on over yeah all right, guys. Any final thoughts on being a therapist? Love the word. <laughs> yeah. Humans as therapists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's meaningful. <laughs> Even for us depressives. <clears throat> he owned it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, and hopefully we'll see you on the community. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear.
The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.